So Mark chapter 1, we're continuing our series, binge-watching Jesus, and today's episode is a good one. You might be tempted to watch it twice. This episode, if you will, begins, and if it were a show on Netflix, I pictured the episode beginning, and we see Jesus walking down a dusty road in Israel near the village of Capernaum, and there's a song playing, and his disciples are with him, and the soundtrack of this episode, in my mind, is perfect. The episode begins, we see Jesus walking down the road with his disciples, and then this funky 70s song comes on, and it goes a little something like this. That's kind of how I imagine this episode going in my mind. Uh, if it was a show on Netflix, I see Jesus walking down the road with the disciples at the beginning of the episode, and this is the song in my mind that's playing. And if you're like me and you watch a show and a song from the soundtrack grabs your attention, you go and you try to figure out who it's by. And so when you hear that song come on, you research it and you find out it's by the late guitar genius Glenn Campbell. The song is titled, I Knew Jesus Before He Was a Star. And that funky bass line, which makes the song, was played by legendary bass player Carol Kay. Uh, For those of you who know her, she played bass on basically every song in the 60s. This song was written in the 70s following the success of the rock opera Jesus Christ Superstar, and Glenn Campbell wanted the world to know that he knew Jesus before all the hippies in Hollywood made him popular. Here's a snippet of the lyrics. I've known his goodness and mercy for all my days. I've seen his blessings around me in every way. In times of trouble when I had no hope in view, who brought the sunlight, the one light that I knew? Oh, yes, I knew he was always there answering every prayer. Fame will not change him much. He won't be out of touch. And that's exactly what we'll see in Mark's gospel today. Because of what we saw several weeks ago when Jesus was in the village of Capernaum, what happened there when Jesus healed many people and cast out many demons, it caused his fame to increase. And in this episode today... After a leper runs his mouth all over town about Jesus and how he healed him, Jesus cannot go anywhere without the paparazzi harassing him. So what we saw a few weeks ago is still true of Jesus. He is fame shy. He doesn't want the spotlight. As Glenn Campbell sings, fame will not change him much. He won't be out of touch. Jesus is not seeking popularity. Jesus knows that some people will only want him for his miracles, not for his mission and not for his message, which was that God loves sinners so much that he sent his son to live and die for them. 
That's what Jesus is focused on in the Gospels and in the Gospel of Mark. His message and his mission. And that's why he will have to stay in the outskirts of town in a Motel 6 because his popularity is growing so much that he cannot even enter into a town or village without drawing a crowd. And so what Mark will remind us of today as we binge watch Jesus is something that we all need to be reminded of daily. And if you're like me, to be reminded of many times daily. And if you're like me, to be reminded of even before you preach. And it's this. You are forgiven. You are clean. So enjoy your forgiveness. Christian You are clean because Jesus has made you clean. Not because of your religious duty. Not because of your devotion. Not because of your effort. Not even because of your repentance. Not even because of your repentance. Our repentance does not cleanse us. Did you know that? Our repentance does not wash away our sin. Only the blood of Jesus does. We are forgiven through his works, not ours. And what Jesus wants us to do today is to enjoy our forgiveness. And to enjoy him as we binge watch him in this episode today. So look at Mark chapter 1. Look again at verses 40 through 41. Or 42. Hear the word of the Lord. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Now, leprosy was a widespread disease in the ancient Near East, especially as seen by the numerous lepers that approached Jesus in the Gospels. But when the Bible speaks of leprosy, it is not limited to what we know today as Hansen's disease or modern-day leprosy. It probably included this, but both the Hebrew and the Greek words for leprosy refer to all kinds of skin diseases, boils, bumps, dry scalp, ringworm shingles, and the Hebrew scribes had counted up 72 different forms of leprosy or skin conditions which could make someone unclean. Now, to us with modern medicine, having some sort of skin condition doesn't seem like that big of a deal, does it? I mean, no one likes pimples, no one likes bacne, right? But for an Israelite, this was a death sentence. To be declared unclean because of some skin condition was a death sentence. And here's why. You would be declared unclean and therefore excluded from worshiping with others. And excluded from community. Excluded from fellowship. To be declared unclean meant that you had to live alone. Isolated. It ruled out deep, meaningful relationships with family and friends. Not to mention any sort of pain or discomfort that your illness caused you. And in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus devotes two whole chapters, chapters 13 and 14, to dealing with unclean people and the procedures that are required to initiate them back into the community. It's like a, a dermatology manual on dealing with skin diseases. Leviticus 13.45 says this, 
The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And so a leper was excluded from community and had to walk around covering up his mouth and crying out, unclean, unclean. Actually, the Hebrew says he had to cover up his mustache and cry out, unclean. So a leper had to give this warning as people came near. I'm unclean, I'm unclean. I also have a mustache, and it is a hideous mustache, so look away. For all you men who are doing or wrapping up Movember, there you go. The leper had to warn others that they would become unclean and they would be contaminated if they touched him. Now, Josephus, the Jewish historian, said that there was no difference between a leper and a corpse. So lepers were like zombies. They literally were the living dead. Now, what's very interesting is that the Mishnah, which is this ancient Jewish commentary... It gives all kinds of rules and regulations about how you deal with lepers. It says that if a leopard entered your house, then it would be contaminated. If you were standing under a tree, leaning up against the tree, or taking a nap under the tree, and a leper came by up under the tree, boom, you were then unclean. So imagine it's hot outside. There's no air conditioning in ancient Israel, like there's no AC in our homes here on the Central Coast. So you go stand under a tree to cool off. Pull out your iPhone, you start checking your email, and then a leper walks up, and boom, you're unclean. Oh, come on, Bob. I was just checking the score of the Cowboys and Redskins game, and you had to walk up and stand under the exact same tree as me? Come on, bro. Now I'm unclean, and I can't go to church next week. That was life for a leper and every single person that they came in contact with. So this guy here in verse 40 approaches Jesus But Mark doesn't tell us that he covered up his mustache and cried, unclean, unclean. All we know is that this leper falls before Jesus and he implores him. He asks Jesus to make him clean. Somehow, while living in the outskirts, this leper, leopard, leper, this leper heard about Jesus. Jesus' popularity was growing. He was becoming a superstar in Israel. And he found Jesus and he begged him, to make him clean. This leper knew that Jesus could make him clean, but he didn't know if Jesus would make him clean. And then Mark gives us three of the most remarkable words in the entire Bible, which begin verse 41. Moved with pity. What wonderful words, y'all. Don't rush past these words. Look at verse 41 again and underline this in your Bible because this is your Savior. This is your Redeemer moved with pity. Jesus comes to us in our sin, in our mess, in the brokenness of our families, in our struggles, in our weaknesses, and He is moved with pity. Jesus doesn't come to us with our internet history in hand, in order to shame us, he is moved with pity towards weak, helpless sinners. He's moved with pity towards weak and helpless churches who are desperate for him. This is what Jesus' ministry was characterized by. This is what gospel-centered ministry is all about. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is mercy personified. 
As a young man, Jonathan Edwards was having an encouraging conversation with his father, who was a pastor, about theology. And Edwards said this, And when the discourse was ended, I walked abroad alone in a solitary place in my father's pasture for contemplation. And as I was walking there and looking upon the sky and clouds, there came into my mind so sweet a sense of the glorious majesty and grace of God as I know not how to express. I seemed to see them both in a sweet conjunction. Majesty and meekness joined together. It was a sweet and gentle and holy majesty and also a majestic meekness and awful sweetness, a high and great and holy gentleness. That's Jesus. That's who this leper fell before and implored that day. Majesty and meekness, power and pity joined together in the person of Jesus. And how sweet and glorious this thought is, grace. The most powerful person in the universe is also the meekest person. The most majestic person in the universe is moved with pity towards sinners like us. He has all the power in the world and yet he is compassionate and merciful and gentle and kind. Jesus is gentle with bruised reeds. He doesn't snuff out a flickering wick. It's incredible. It's simply incredible. It's how he comes to you right now with whatever it is that's going on in your life that's weighing you now. Jesus comes with pity, compassion, He's not looking at you thinking, can't you get your act together? Again, you're going to pray about this again? I'm sick of this. He comes and he's moved with pity. He's moved with pity for our church right now. And Mark tells us in verse 40 that Jesus was moved with pity. His compassionate heart went out to this man, this leper, this ostracized individual. And so far from being the angry Christ that Martin Luther saw on a wood carving every week as he entered church, with his veins popping out of his forehead because he was angry. And that's what the church was saying. Far from that, this Jesus here in Mark chapter 1, the biblical Jesus, is moved with pity towards sinners. Jesus saw the misery that this leper lived with, and in mercy, Jesus touched him. Now think about that. Jesus touched this unclean leper. He touched the unclean man, and instead of Jesus becoming unclean, this man is made whole, he's made clean. Now imagine what this man suffered for however long he suffered, and then he heard Jesus utter these words, I will be clean. And the man was, right before his eyes, his skin condition, whatever it was, just disappeared. Poof, it's gone. I will be clean. Such beautiful words. I will be clean. It's incredible. And this is what Jesus does for us in the gospel. He comes and he tells us that we are clean, that we are forgiven, that we are whole. You can't miss that imagery here. 
What's happening in this episode of Mark is a picture of what Martin Luther called the great exchange or the wonderful exchange. Luther said, That is the mystery which is rich in divine grace to sinners, wherein by a wonderful exchange our sins are no longer ours, but Christ's. And the righteousness of Christ is not Christ, but ours. He has emptied himself of his righteousness that he might clothe us with it and fill us with it. And he has taken our evils upon himself that he might deliver us from them. In the same manner as he grieved and suffered in our sins and was confounded, in the same manner we rejoice and glory in his righteousness. This is the good news. This is what Jesus was preaching and why he said back in verse 38 of Mark that he could not stay in the village of Capernaum. Jesus had to get this message out. Jesus was compelled and driven by his mission and his message. He was driven by the great exchange, the wonderful exchange, that it's free for sinners if received with the empty hands of faith. But notice that Jesus is different from the priests of the day because Jesus can actually make people clean, whereas the priests could only examine someone and then declare them clean. Jesus can heal instantly. The priests could declare you clean after you use Neosporin and alcohol and Band-Aids for a few weeks. They'd look you over and tell you that you were clean because you used the whole tube of Neosporin. But they could not make anyone clean. Only Jesus could. And this fact is going to start setting up the issues that the religious leaders in the south in Jerusalem that they have with this backwoods redneck rabbi named Jesus who's from the north. The scribes and the Pharisees are not going to take to Jesus going around and healing people, making them clean, and telling them that their sins are forgiven apart from worship in the temple. That's going to rub them the wrong way. One of the reasons that Jesus comes up on their radar is because People can't stop talking about Jesus and what he's doing. And this leper will be one of Jesus' biggest fans, even though he doesn't do what Jesus tells him. Look at verse 43. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. After Jesus heals the leper, he warns him strongly not to tell anyone what happened. Jesus tells this guy, don't tell anyone about this. Capiche? All that Jesus wants this guy to do is to go show himself to a priest and have the priest look him over and then declare him clean again. Jesus wants this leper to follow the protocol laid out in the book of Leviticus. He wants this guy to obey scripture, to obey God's word. And this is what he should have done. Per the book of Leviticus, the leper should have gone down to Jerusalem to the temple to see a priest and the priest would look him over and then declare him clean. He's supposed to see a priest and get a clean bill of health. He's supposed to hear from the priest, you are forgiven. You are clean. Go enjoy your forgiveness. But we're not sure if the leper made it to Jerusalem. If he traveled all the way down to Jerusalem and told the priest about what Jesus did, if he did that, this would have added to the 
religious leaders' curiosity about this redneck rabbi from the backwoods of Galilee who was gaining in popularity. We're not sure if the leper did this, but we do know that he did one thing. He did the one thing that Jesus told him not to do. He began to tell everyone freely what Jesus did. This leper is the one who is primarily responsible for making Jesus a superstar. And you can't blame the guy. He's been a banished leper. He is free. He can go home. He can go to church now. He is clean. He is enjoying being clean. He is enjoying his forgiveness, and he's telling everyone about it. And so how does all of this affect Jesus? Jesus could no longer roll into some village without being recognized. So picture Jesus. Now he has to wear a baseball cap and sunglasses. He can't go into Starbucks and order a drink without the paparazzi bugging him. So Jesus has to stay in desolate places, Mark tells us. Peter has to go to Starbucks to get a drink for Jesus because he can't show up because crowds will be there. And when the barista says to Peter, can I get a name for that drink? Peter replies, oh, it's Jesus. It's, it's for my friend Jesus. And the barista says, oh, yeah, I've heard of this Jesus guy. He's that new miracle-working rabbi, right? And Peter tells the barista behind the bar, yep, and I'm one of his disciples. And I knew Jesus before he was a superstar. That's how I picture Peter. So word is spreading all over Facebook about Jesus. So he's got to find a Motel 6 on the outskirts of town to stay in. And he can't even go anywhere without drawing a crowd. In fact, even on the outskirts of town, people find him at the Motel 6. So that the workers at the Motel 6 are like, the continental breakfast is for guests only. That's what it's like for Jesus. Everywhere he goes. Now, stop and think about what has happened here. Jesus healed this leper and restored him to health and wholeness. The the Hebrew idea is shalom. Now this leper has peace. But Jesus can't enjoy a peaceful moment anymore. The leper has peace now, but Jesus has no peace. The leper was once on the outside, on the outskirts of town, and that's where Jesus is now. Jesus heals and restores peace, but his popularity is keeping him from actually experiencing peace. So why does Jesus want to keep all of these miracles under wraps? Why is Jesus saying, shh, don't tell anyone? Here's why. Jesus did not want his miracles to detract from his message or his mission. Scholars call it the messianic secret if you read commentaries. Jesus knows that people will want to crown him as king and beg him to overthrow Rome if they figure out that he is the promised Messiah. And so Jesus says, shh, don't tell anyone about this. Jesus did not want his miracles to detract from his message or his mission. Jesus did not come to just do miracles. He came with a message, the gospel, that God loves sinners. He just does. And Jesus came with a mission, which was the cross. That God loves sinners so much that he gave his son to die on the cross. And Jesus doesn't want his miracles to detract from those two things. Jesus didn't come to give you and I a diagnosis. The law does that. God's law, summed up in the Ten Commandments, it gives us the diagnosis. It declares that we are sinners. 
God's law, which is holy and good, it diagnoses us. It declares us as unclean. And so Jesus came not to diagnose us because the law does that. Jesus claimed came to declare to those who are united to him by faith, you are forgiven and you are clean. So enjoy your forgiveness. In John 15, 3, Jesus said, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Jesus has spoken the word of the gospel over us and we are clean. Now, I know this hard to believe some days, isn't it? It's hard to believe that God is this gracious to us, right? Martin Luther said, my greatest temptation is to believe that God is not gracious. We know it's true, but we don't feel it deep down in our souls. And part of the reason why is because everything clean in our world eventually gets dirty again, doesn't it? Everything in our life follows this cycle. Clean, dirty, clean, dirty, clean again dirty again. It happens in our homes, and if you have kids, then you know that this cycle is never-ending, and it occurs with a rapid fire tenacity. And our cars are clean, and then they get dirty. Our bodies are clean, and then they get dirty. Clean, dirty, clean, dirty. We take showers, and then we're dirty again, especially if you have young kids. Parents are like, I just showered, and my sick kid just threw up on me. Now I'm covered in vomit. This is how our world functions. So when we hear the good news that Jesus has made us clean, it's hard to believe that it will actually stick. Hard to believe that we stay clean. And so we begin to experience shame over the dirty things that we think and that we say and that we do. And then we get amnesia. At least Fitzpatrick says, one reason we don't grow in ordinary, grateful obedience as we should is that we've got amnesia. We've forgotten that we are cleansed from our sins. In other words, ongoing failure in sanctification, slow process of change into Christlikeness, is the direct result of failing to remember God's love for us in the gospel. If we lack the comfort and assurance that his love and cleansing are meant to supply, our failures will handcuff us to yesterday's sins, and we won't have faith or courage to fight against them or the love for God that's meant to empower this war. If we fail to remember our justification, redemption, and reconciliation, we'll struggle in our sanctification. We forget the gospel, and that's when we lack comfort. That's when shame comes a-knocking. The leper here in Mark 1 lived with shame. Everywhere he went, he was not welcome. Everywhere he went, he heard, You're not welcome here, bro. Get out. You're not good enough. You don't belong here. He didn't belong anywhere. So he most likely lived with this sense of shame. Cut off from family. Cut off from God's word. Cut off from worship. Cut off from God. He couldn't hold his new grandbaby. Couldn't hug his wife. He needed good news. He needed Jesus. And providence orchestrated him to meet Jesus one day on a dusty road. And by the way he responded, he did not forget the gospel. He ran his mouth all over town and was turning Jesus into a reluctant superstar. 
He was enjoying his forgiveness. He was enjoying the fact that he was clean. But we sometimes forget the gospel, don't we? And when we do, we answer the door and we invite shame inside. We allow shame to enter and we sit down with a cup of tea with shame. We invite an unwelcome guest into our hearts. But understand that shame has one goal. It's to humiliate you. It's to embarrass you by bringing up forgiven sin. That's what shame wants to do. To humiliate you. To embarrass you by bringing up once again forgiven sin. That's shame's intent. Literally to humiliate you to death. And that's why the devil uses it. So how do you know when shame is working in your life? It's when you feel like these things, the following things are true about you. You feel unclean. You feel like something is wrong with you. You feel dirty. You feel like you've not measured up. You can't seem to get your act together. You feel worthless. You feel embarrassed. You feel rejected. You feel inadequate. You feel humiliated. You feel filthy. You feel disgusting. You feel repulsive. You feel disgraced. You feel unlovable. All because of things that you have done or things you haven't done or things that have been done to you. That's shame. Here's a sign that shame has intruded your life and you've opened up the door and let him in. You try to hide things. You you cover up. You feel exposed. You never feel good enough. You feel like that you can't be loved, even by God. These are the telltale signs of shame. So let me ask you this morning, what do you want to hide today? What do you want to hide? What do you want to cover up? That will help you identify where shame has a grip on you. What is it that you wish you could hide? What is it that you wish you could just go back and rewind the tape? That will identify where shame has a grip on you. Another way that shame is at work is when you feel wrong, but you're not sure why. Feel wrong. I'm not sure why. I've got this nagging feeling of being dirty and filthy all the time. You have this nagging feeling of just being unclean. You know that shame is at work when you feel just as horrible about something as the day it happened. Christian, it doesn't matter what you've done, what you haven't done, or what has been done to you. Jesus loves you. Jesus accepts you. And he says to you today, you are accepted. You are forgiven. You are clean. You are washed. You are loved. My past is your past now. And your past is mine. Your past doesn't belong to you anymore. Get your grubby hands off. Your past doesn't belong to you anymore. Jesus says it belongs to me It's not yours, so let it go. I nailed it to the cross. I threw it into the depths of the sea. There is no trace of it anymore. Poof, it's gone. You're mine. Rest and enjoy your forgiveness.
If Jesus were here today, he'd stand right next to you in front of every person that you have ever known in your life, and he would put his arms around you and say, I love you. You belong to me. In public, in front of everyone that you've ever known. Jesus comes and he says to you, you bring your internet history and I'll bring the bread and wine. That's what we celebrated last week with the Lord's Supper. You bring your internet history, Jesus says, I'll bring the bread and wine. You bring your past, that thing that haunts you and you just can't seem to shake it. And Jesus brings the bread and wine. You bring how you yelled at your kids this morning as you got ready for church, like I did. Imagine preaching after you've yelled at your kids. My God, I've got a, my conscience is so tender that it happens. I'm like, I should just quit. You bring how you yelled at your kids this morning as you got ready to go worship Jesus, the most merciful, kind, compassionate person in the world. And the most merciful, kind, compassionate person in the world will bring the bread and wine. You bring that bitterness that's eating away at you right now. For some of you, there's bitterness eating away at you. There's jealousy. There's resentment. There's hatred for people even here in this church. You bring that, and Jesus brings the bread and the wine. And he will say to you, you're clean. You're forgiven, so enjoy your forgiveness. Horatius Bonar, a a Scottish pastor, said, it is with our sins that we go to God. For we have nothing else to go with that we can call our own. It is with our sins that we go to God. For we have nothing else to go with that we can call our own. All that we can bring to God that we can call our own is our sin. That's it. And Jesus receives it. That's why he came. That's what the leper did here. He went to Jesus with his disease and he was made whole. He was healed. He was clean. Through Jesus' work on the cross, through his wounds, we are healed, Isaiah says. We are made whole, meaning we are made right with God. We are justified. We are declared righteous in God's eyes because Jesus died in our place as our substitute, as our Savior, as our Redeemer. And when we trust in the perfect life and death and resurrection of Jesus, we will never experience shame. The shame and guilt of our sins no longer have a hold over our lives. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1, right? We will never be put to shame. God will never come to us and say, shame, shame, shame on you for what you have done. I can't believe you did that. Shame on you. God will never say that to us because of Jesus. But God said that to his own son. On the cross. That's exactly what God the Father said to Jesus on the cross. Shame, shame, shame on you for what you have done. I can't believe you did that. Shame on you. God will never say that to us because of Jesus. The great exchange, the wonderful exchange has taken place at the cross. And that means even when we stand before God one day, he will not shame us. I am absolutely confident if I dropped dead right now and I saw Jesus, I would stand there with no shame, not of my own righteousness. I will not fear him when I see him. I will stand there covered in the righteousness of Jesus and say, this is exactly where I belong right now. I'm not afraid of seeing Jesus. 
even when we stand before God one day, he will not shame us. Tom Schreiner says, what is true of Christ is also true of his people. They will not experience the embarrassment of judgment, but the glory of approval. The phrase, will never be ashamed, therefore, is another way of saying they will be honored. We will not experience the embarrassment of judgment. We will not have a movie of our sinful lives played for the whole world to watch as we stand before God. What a terrible, horrible way to begin eternity, right? Who wants that? Enter into the joy of the Lord after that? I'm going to go hide out for 10,000 years. And then I'll come out of hiding and be like, in heaven, everybody remembers everything. So they're going to remember my, my movie. No, who wants that? That's not the gospel. That's not good news. We will not experience the embarrassment of judgment. We will not have a movie of our sinful lives played before us as we stand before God. That's the gospel. That's good news, isn't it? Because I have done and said and thought some pretty wicked, evil things in my life. I've said some things that I'm embarrassed about. I've done some things that I'm embarrassed and ashamed of. I've said and thought and done and had these motives, these wicked motives behind it all. So, 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 so many times. And I'm flat out ashamed of it. Awful things, embarrassing things. And the good news of the gospel is that record of mine is gone. Poof, it's gone. I don't know where it is, but it's gone. It's actually nailed to the cross. It's actually thrown into the bottom of the sea. It's gone because I'm in union with Jesus by faith, and he has declared me clean. And that is true of you if you are in union with Christ. All of the awful, embarrassing things that you have done that you are ashamed of, if you trust in Jesus, poof, they're gone. They are erased from your life. The hard drive, believe it or not, has been wiped clean. And not even the smartest computer person can relocate it and find it. The internet history of your life, your sinful life, is erased. And now when God sees you, like right now, he sees Jesus. When the leper asked Jesus to heal him, Jesus told the leper in verse 41, I will. That's how I picture Jesus saying it. Not stoic, like, I will be clean. I picture him saying, oh, I will. Son, I will. Nothing brings me more pleasure, son. I will right now be clean. Jesus says that to us as well. Jesus says that we are clean. And Jerry Bridges says one of the most glorious things that could be said in a book written by a sinful human being. He says this, It is not our contrition or sorrow for sin. It is not our repentance. It is not even the passing of a certain number of hours during which we feel we are on some kind of probation that cleanses us. It is the blood of Christ shed once for all on Calvary 2,000 years ago, but appropriated daily or even many times a day that cleanses our consciences and gives us a renewed sense of peace with God. It's not our contrition, feeling sorry that makes us clean and forgiven. It's not our sorrow for sin that does it. It's not us waiting for a few hours and then God will forgive us. You ever do that? You do, don't you? Just wait a few hours. Wait a few hours to approach God and you ask for mercy as if like his mercy has got to heat up. Like once it gets heated up, then I can approach him. 
I'll just wait a few hours before I ask for forgiveness because maybe he will be cooled down by then and his mercy will be heated up. Wrong. That's not the gospel. Listen, we're not on probation, Grace. We don't have to wait a few hours. Our repentance does not cleanse us. Our sorrow for sin (coughs) does not cleanse us. Only one thing does, the blood of Jesus. Jesus came to wash you with his blood, to cleanse you, to welcome you, to love you, to exchange your sin for his righteousness. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're a mess, you are dirty, and you are stained with sin and rebellion against the holy God. You need to be washed. You need to be cleansed. You need to come clean with God so that he can declare you clean. Just owning up to that, that, you're, that you live like you're the king when in fact you have offended the king of kings. But if you can come clean today, he will cleanse you. Will you repent and believe today? Come to Jesus. He will have you with all your mess, with all the stuff that you're embarrassed about. Jesus says, bring me that stuff. Bring it here. Jesus specializes in saving the worst and making them new. Now, for those who are trusting in Jesus, you are perfectly accepted in Christ right now. You have his righteousness. You are clean. He has spoken this over us. His voice has declared these things true of us. It is not a fairy tale. And if this is true, if we are perfectly accepted in Christ and we have his righteousness, then here's what it means. We are secure. Secure in him. We are safe. He will never let us go. We are clean. And so here's your homework today, Grace. Go enjoy your forgiveness. When I say enjoy your forgiveness, I mean enjoy your Savior. Enjoy Jesus. We don't want to highlight the gift over the giver. We don't want to highlight forgiveness over the one who has made that possible. So see Jesus again today with fresh eyes. See him merciful, kind, gentle sweet and compassionate towards sinners and then enjoy him more and more. Let's pray. Father, we would not make a God like you up. In fact, you see it in other religions. Every God is angry and must be pacified repeatedly through penance and beating themselves up and so we would not create we would not create a god who's so kind and so merciful to sinners and and prove that and show that at the cross we wouldn't create you so give us fresh eyes to believe father open the eyes of our hearts this morning to see that you are as good as you say you are to believe the good news, the announcement that we are forgiven and that we are clean. And then may that give us unspeakable joy, Father, that we would go and run our mouths all over town about how good you are to us. Do it for our joy and for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name.